You know I'm right. The podcast that uncovers the origin stories of some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, entrepreneurship, and so much more. Nick Durst here along with Joe Calabrese and Joe. Our guest today, he might know a thing or two about podcasting. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But why don't you tell everybody who you have with us? Yeah, somebody who has worn many hats and working in media. You have to be able to know how to wear many hats. Uh, Former writer, former digital producer, uh, podcast host, radio host. Uh, But recently, a couple of years ago, uh, he helped found uh, Blue Wire. So as a CEO and founder of Blue Wire, we're very happy to have him on. Uh, Kevin Jones, KJ. Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thanks, guys. Excited to hop on, give my origin story, listen to some of your content before this. Really love your guys' pod. People say when I'm on a podcast, it's like Inception a little bit, like we're talking about pods probably the most part. But yeah, my my background's in sports media and happy to tell people about my trials and tribulations. It was definitely not easy founding a company. Absolutely. A lot of challenges for all of our guests in their in their careers, but so we do. We let everybody know how people got to where they are today, and we help our audience grow, and we're hoping to do that here with you, Kevin. So we'll start off with this. Is there a philosophy by which you live your life? Um, I'm a gambler. Not I've never made a sports gambling bet uh, on FanDuel or DraftKings, anything like that, or win bet, but... I knew journalism was going to be hard when I got into it. I knew founding a company was going to be hard. I prefer the road less traveled. I prefer to be working on something that almost feels impossible. If that is my day-to-day, then I, I need to be challenged. So that is kind of my rule of thumb. And there's, I believe, nothing harder than starting a small business, whether you're opening up a shoe store in retail or digital podcasting business. So yeah, man, I, we only live once. I don't like to be bored. I like to be celebrating small wins all the time. So whether that was writing an article when I was a beat reporter or now closing deals at Blue Wire. So you attended East Carolina University. Uh, What made you decide to go there? And uh, somebody who works in media and Nick and I work in media. Uh, what did you do while you were on campus in terms of internships and opportunities uh, to help you stay active? Definitely. I'm from Virginia. I really wanted to go to UVA, Virginia Tech, or James Madison. I didn't have the best grades. I had like a 3.2, was a B student, not an A student. So I didn't get into those schools. I was a little heartbroken, but East Carolina, I visited the college. It really stood out to me. I liked the campus. I realized they are division one. They had a bunch of NFL players. Jeff Blake was a quarterback for the Bengals back in the day. David Gerard was a quarterback for the Jaguars. Chris Johnson was a running back while I was there um, then for the Titans most famously. So I wanted there to be sports at the college and yeah, like moving away from home sounded cool. When I got on campus, hey, I sucked at math. So that eliminated business in most degrees. Uh, so it was communication and journalism for me. I always liked writing. 
I wanted to be a beat reporter or radio host. I always had this dream for a long time. And when I got to campus, I joined fraternities for the first couple of years, didn't really focus on my job. But the last couple of years, I had a radio show by name Old Sports Talk. We had big guests on. We had players from the Redskins came in studio. He was a return guy, Brandon Banks, no one big, but it was really cool to have a platform, to have guests, people listening. Twitter was brand new at the time. This was like 2011 when I was in college, senior at the height of my radio show. So I utilized ECU. Actually, I kept in touch with them. They invested a million dollars in my business 10 years later by just staying in touch. So small world and go Pirates. Everyone hates scheduling us. We upset West Virginia when I was there. We beat Virginia Tech, um, beat South Carolina. No one likes ECU on the schedule. It's a trap game. If you beat us, no one cares, but we normally beat uh, someone pretty big once a year. So tell us about how you stayed in touch with people there who taught you or gave you lessons throughout the years that when you came forward with them, with the idea of, hey, got this business, can you help out at all? They're willing to write the check. There was this one guy, excuse me, there was this one guy, Todd Fraley, who my senior year, he let me have my radio show as a class. It was three hours credit. I didn't go to any class at all, but I just produced my radio show. He was like, that is worth, this is what students should be doing. So he and I always connected. He gave me an opportunity. He would send me his family's Christmas cards. I try and create real relationships. I'm after my own goals, but I also want to build good relationships. It's kind of a multifaceted thing. Um, and always stayed in touch with him, LinkedIn with him, you know, uh, and I think that's what it takes. I'm not great at social media. I try and if I meet someone and I like them, maybe I'm the first to follow them. Like I'm not scared to, if someone doesn't follow me back on social media, I think it kind of takes that. Um, it, it's not creepy. Maybe you want to wait 24 hours, but I build, I build relationships, man. I think that's important, not just with folks who I think can help me, but just with no intentions at all. Like he's a good guy. He did end up helping me and I've helped him over the years with different students. So, you know, most people get in this sports or media or entertainment, even education, they want to help, right? You just got to find the right people. Yeah. It's all about paying it forward, giving it back. That's what we usually hear as a common theme here for sure. So how did you go about acquiring and obtaining that first job in sports out of school? It was awful. It was year 2011. I thought I was going to get hired right away by someone. And it was so disappointing. I thought my resume was fantastic. I had summer internships in Orlando where I was covering baseball, had all these interviews. I covered the NBA summer league. I was getting press passes everywhere. I was like, this is really hard to do. Someone's going to hire me. It doesn't really work like that you realize, wow, there's so many people like me trying to freaking get in the door. So that's a big realization that everyone has to have. I got in the door of my own hometown. I'm from Chantilly, Virginia. It's 25 minutes away from DC. CBS Channel 9, there's WUSA. They were Gannett owned. 
they had a high school sports producer role. It was three days a week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, working nights, the absolute worst hours possible. But they needed help recording, reporting scores, going to games, just building this high school sports brand. To me, it was a step down. I had been talking to NFL players on my radio show. Now I got to go to go do high school sports. But I realized it was a bigger, it was a TV station. I could learn a lot there. I could meet different people. I could get press passes eventually maybe to the Redskins, which I did. Got press passes to now the Commanders, the Wizards. So I try and see the bigger opportunity always when I get an opportunity. Like, hey, do the job currently, but hey, you're within a bigger organization. Maybe you can grow. So I did for a couple of years there. But I was going to the most random high school games. I was definitely not happy. It took four months to get a job at least. I got hired in November. I graduated in almost six months. I graduated in May. So I I was watching Sopranos. Like binge watching was becoming a thing. I was like so angry. My mom was like, why are you in a robe around the house? Just yelling. I'm like, I'm Tony Soprano. I'm I'm mad right now. It was a fun time to look back on. What's your favorite Sopranos character? I like Chrissy, of course, from... Uh, the show White Lotus, uh, Uncle Polly. There's Uncle Polly's Deli out here. I guess they, he's just Polly. They're all good, man. That was such a show that gravitated me towards entertainment or content. Like, and we're not doing anything like The Sopranos, but that was a fun. <laughs> I always listen back to these podcasts. I wanted to make sure I noted that 2011 hard year. Got my first job in high school and the Sopranos got me through it. And shout out to my mom who dealt with my temper tantrums. <laughs> so <laughs> you're you're doing that. You also at a time were a game day media assistant for the Washington Redskins. So what was that job like for you? Obviously very low on the totem pole being there. Did you sense any dysfunction across the organization? Oh, my best friend was a graphic designer. They had extra press passes for the season. They were really, I got a really lucky break. Oh yeah, you could sense the dysfunction there for a long time. And I covered the team for a couple of years while I was at WSA 9 here. Um, First of all, their facilities in Ashburn, Virginia, which is very far away from DC. It's old, decrepit. They haven't rebuilt it in a long time. um, Dan Snyder has just set the worst tone. I describe myself as a divorced Commanders fan. I used to be in a serious 20-year relationship. There were a lot of highs. There was way too many lows, more lows than highs. And I'm recovering. And I check in on my ex here. We don't have any kids, uh, me and the Commanders. Maybe one day we'll get back together if there's new ownership in town. But Would Jeff Bezos owning the team suck you back in? I think so. I, I know Amazon, everyone's evil, right? All billionaires, yeah. you don't really get there unless you step on some folks. So, right. But to me, I like organiz- organizations that are uh, growing and understand people and just the 25 years of bad decisions, bad PR mistakes, the recent unveiling of Sean Taylor's statue and it looking like a freaking... Kmart uh, <laughs> mannequin. Um, it, it's so embarrassing to be affiliated with it, right? Like my friends are Eagles fans, Giants fans. They're constantly shitting on us. We don't want to be shit on. It's not our fault. 
Um, haven't won a playoff game since 2005. I remember that. My dad's been passed away for eight years. Like it's been even eight years since then that they won a playoff game. It's just like a lifetime ago. Um, but so I grew up a fan. It was so hard for me to see that, right? I have press passes to one of my favorite teams. I know they're going downhill, but now I'm just disassociating from them. Uh, the the players are always just put in a bad spot. I developed a little bit of a relationship with Kyle Shanahan there. I went to the Browns next. He went to the Browns next. I remember interviewing Sean McVay. I remember interviewing Matt LaFleur. I definitely was around during that time. So the experience was cool, but the organization was very shitty. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I There's rumors about Bezos. I don't see how that could happen because to me, it's a conflict of interest. If he owns a team and he airs the games on Thursday night, I don't know how that would work. That's a crazy legality there. But what do you what do you think about the new mascot that they debuted? Like three years ago? <laughs> he did every single thing wrong. The team name, the mascot. I didn't realize this was going to turn into me bashing uh, my hometown team. This is great. I, I don't get to do this. I had a 49ers podcast. I'm sure we'll get there. But NFL has been near and dear to my heart forever. I will say flying on the Browns team plane, working for the Browns for two years was definitely my coolest experience in the NFL. I turned that job up at, in DC to the Cleveland Browns. I was a staff writer for clevelandbrowns.com. Vic Carucci hired me, longtime NFL beat reporter, covered the Bills, has written books with NFL legends, Jim Kelly, just such a cool mentor. He was only there for about six months, but he hired me, got me in the door. I developed relationships with Dante Whitner. Paul Kruger went to his wedding in Utah. Uh, played video games with the actual players. The Browns were seven and nine the year I was there uh, in 2014, the first year. So, so much energy in the building. They started seven and four. Johnny Manziel's his rookie season. So a lot of attention on the team. And if you get to work for a team and you're young in your career, it's really worth it. I think I was paid $45,000. It was barely enough to make it but um it was cool i ended up getting fired from that job it there's such a backstabbing culture it's so cool to see people leave the browns and succeed i had a bad ending at the browns now baker mayfield i know he went to the panthers but now he's doing better there's so many examples of this there's actually a fired browns coaches convention Every year in Indianapolis at the Combine, there's like 20, 30, there's a growing amount of fired Browns coaches throughout the years that just get together. It's kind of like a fraternity badge a little bit. In the Hugh Jackson just holding court at the Combine. <laughs> and I didn't play the field, I didn't coach, but they, Mike Penn and his coaches, they taught me about schemes. They showed me film. It was really cool to be behind the scenes. So I learned a lot. And yes, the Browns are just as bad as the commanders. Jimmy Haslam's a better human being than Dan Snyder, being close to those two. My dad passed away. They offered me, like, not the team plane to fly, but paying for my tickets, air tickets. There, there were humans there. I got it. One of my bosses fired me. He was ended up being a really bad person and firing a lot of people. So I got caught up in a one of those things we work for a pro team it's a little nastier than you want it to be now i'm going on and on you guys are like all right geez dude but i mean enjoying my glory days so what no it's good what do you guys have from this i know a lot of players i've seen some shit i'm willing to reveal some stuff where, where do you guys want to go so we were going to bounce around right from your time in dc to cleveland you touched on cleveland right so 
we'll talk about, I guess, how you were displaced from one area of the country to the other, right? And you've been working mainly in California now for a while. Uh, so you covered the San Francisco 49ers. You mentioned the podcast before, so we can talk about that now. Uh, covering the San Francisco 49ers for uh, KNBR Radio. How did that opportunity come about? Uh, how did you become one of the main guys there covering the 49ers? And, and uh, describe what led into the podcast. Yes. After the Browns leaving there, I started my own podcast called the Kevin Jones Podcast, ordering equipment, not knowing anything. This was 2015. Podcasting was such a baby. Barstool was starting to do it a little bit. The Ringer was starting to do it a little bit. I could tell it was getting popular. The opportunity at KMBR is, was a dream opportunity. I always wanted my own voice. At the Browns, I couldn't really say what I wanted to say. I was a team employee. If you go to NewYorkGiants.com, all the articles are positive generally about the team. So you almost are a marketing employee, even though it's so cool being behind the scenes. KMBR, I got to cover the 49ers Warriors for the radio station. I managed the website KMBR.com and I got to have my own opinion columns. I got to call the 49ers whatever I wanted to, we're going to in 14. So I had an unfiltered voice. That was my dream and I got to do it. I did it for several years. It was very intense, very hard. I covered the Warriors too. It's driving all across the Bay Area. I had a, a couple teammates, Sam Houston, Josh Lander was working with some video folks. We were just trying to make KMBR a digital brand. It had been an AM radio brand. It had a great reputation, but kind of older host. How do we make cool, fresh digital content? And it was the best experience ever. I saw a radio station that was broken, really. They didn't function like a high-performing team. The sales organization was on one floor. The content was on the other. People were like not happy to be at work. Everyone was like ready to go home at 5 o'clock every day. So I saw sports radio decaying a little bit. And I think there are really smart people who work in sports radio. It's just really an industry problem and a consumption problem. Fans don't really want to listen to sports radio anymore. People in their car want to program their own content. Great experience, though. I lived in San Francisco for five years. I lived there much longer than I ever expected. I met Clay Thompson. I had back and forth with these people. Jed York got pissed off at me one time, the owner of the 49ers. You have crazy high-level interactions, like you're on the scene. This was literally a dream come true, pinch me. Um, appeared on TV all the time. They appeared on radio all the time and then wrote articles every single day. So dream job. Eventually got tired of it. Was making 50K, unlivable wage, no path for growth. And I took a step back, worked for Facebook and Salesforce for a year, and then founded Blue Wire. So... You decide from your experience that radio is kind of going downhill. Podcast is where it's at. So what was the ultimate deciding factor for you to find Blue Wire? And how did you get it off the ground? No one was giving me a real opportunity for my next role. It was all the, still the same paying jobs as much as I love these roles. And I don't value money over everything, but I really wanted to prove my worth here in the sports space. And as a writer, you're kind of confined to write these articles, manage this website. I looked at the sales staffs at where I had been, and I thought it would be interesting to 
do a little bit of what they do or come up with a business plan. And I never expected Blue Wire to be as big as it is today. It Honestly, I thought it was going to be a bridge to whatever was next. I was about to get into audio, but I didn't want it to be radio. I think po- I believe in the podcasting industry, really. So a combination of wanting to do more, believing in podcasting. I kind of wanted to be my own boss, man. After having some fallouts in Cleveland, after seeing people get treated like crap at the radio, maybe I could be a boss that sets a better culture. Maybe I could, people would want to come work on this vision. So that was always in the back of my mind. Hey, I really want to work, not manage people, but collaborate with people, help them grow their careers, look at it differently. And here we are today. We have 300 podcasts. We reached 120 million downloads last year. We have over 125 different advertisers. Happy to tell you the story backwards. How the hell did we get there? Because it it's complicated building a business for sure. And a lot of people helped us get here. I don't want to take all the credit either. So what was your original vision? You mentioned, you know, you wanted people to come in and help people with your with your vision. So what was that initial vision? What what were you thinking? Okay, from a year from now, I could do this. Then when you're in year two, what were you thinking in that early stage? Uh, it was going to just be local sports at first. I really liked what The Athletic did rolling out. I wanted to build something like The Athletic. I liked Bleacher Report. I liked Overtime. I looked at things that were founded within the last 10 years. How did these people do it? They carved out a niche. Bleacher Report was social media. Overtime was also social, but like high school, young, up-and-coming athletes. So I chose podcasting. That was the initial vision. But it was to go local. The Athletic had a different business model with subscription. I knew we were going to have to be ads business. What I realized is I can't really go fully local. I need national content. I There might be some comedians who are funny Blue Wire Sports mostly, but we have business content and we're really solving the vision evolved to we're solving a problem for creators. Podcasters, they're all entrepreneurial. They're all founding something here with this podcast. They want it to go somewhere. We want to take it places. So once someone starts getting a little bit of an audience, how do we put rocket fuel on it? That has been the ethos from the beginning, but I thought I was just going to do it from a local standpoint. Like, hey, I'll just recreate local radio with podcasting. And then I realized the genre of the content, I shouldn't be so confined to that. We can work with a lot of more people. We can work with YouTubers. We can monetize different things beyond audio. So looking back now, do you feel like you stayed true to what you were saying was your mission statement or did you change? Because hearing what you're saying here, it kind of made me feel like you wanted to help people at first who were in your position, who were not getting the chance because of X, Y, and Z, or these you know horrible media conglomerates and companies. Uh, fast forward now here, and it's just the way the business goes, it seems that Blue Wire now partners a lot with well-known athletes or celebrities or people who already have brand, brand names. So how is that the mission statement or the company kind of change in that regard or is it something where you know these these two things are meeting together working together and, and helping things grow that's right what connects us is we're all hustlers from chris long our biggest podcaster to our smallest podcaster 
we're out there caring about our content all day, every day at Blue Wire. It's people who work with us, they're not in it, they're not just dipping their toe in. They they publish three, four times a week. Like this is their thing. So we have 300 podcasts. We've probably turned down 2000 plus podcasts, even though I want to work with everyone. Like we need the audience size to be the, a certain thing, but it, it is uniting over also uh, authenticity as well. Uh, I'll use Chris as an example, Richard Jefferson as an example. They could go bring their podcast to ESPN. They could go bring a lot of people want their podcast. We want people to be authentic. I've never called Chris or Richard once and been like, yo, why did you say that? Mm -hmm. There's kind of a freedom here because we're a smaller company. We're not a huge corporation. We we have podcasters. We don't want to cancel people or say slurs or anything like course there's within limits but the authentic nature i think unites all 300 um and then there's a community here everyone wants to be part of something bigger than themselves and blue wire wants to serve that we want to be the bottom base of the pyramid and help build mini empires here blue wires is one big mini empire everyone has their own thing going on how do we collect all these things together um so I do think that has remained all businesses evolve. Any founder who's living by the same principles from day one, especially on their first business, we didn't have principles. I didn't know this was even going to be a business. We made a hundred thousand dollars our first year, you know, closing in on eight figures in 2022 yearly in revenue. So the people who work with Blue Wire, they get a peek behind the scenes, you get to learn business. I think there's really something to this being a grad school for folks. Um, both our podcasters, our employees, we tell you how the sausage is made here. Where there's not closed curtains. It's like, hey, yeah, let's teach folks. There's that kind of atmosphere. We do have a Blue Wire app where all 300 of our creators have access to materials. We're trying to not just be ad sales for folks. How do we make podcasting a whole experience? We do have our Las Vegas studio with Win. Um, we're doing a Super Bowl party with Miller Lite. So trying to continue to do innovative things really is why I'm in this. And for a lot of things, man, you put me on a podcast, I'll go on I'm the top 100 reasons why I'm in this. But uh, helping people, I think, is at my core and changing things, right? Yeah. So you mentioned the, the studio at The Win. So how did that partnership come about with The Win? Whose idea was it to make that studio and would you say that having that studio there in that location has brought the business to the next level? Yes, it's brought the business to the next level. One of the best things I've been a part of in my short 33 years, um, Craig Billings, the CEO of Win, emails us out of the blue, my colleague Maggie and I, hey, I'd love to get on the phone. We're looking for a sports betting partnership. We don't know exactly what this is about. I'm actually not even a big Vegas guy at the time. I had to research when, like, wait, which one is this again? He's super sharp guy, gets on the phone, sitting in this grand big office. I have an idea for you guys. What if I built you a studio inside the hotel, your name on it for several years, I'll also invest in the business, and... Let's go get big talent together. You guys have a good local network, some narrative content. 
we're building WinBet. Our studio has too many jewelry stores. You millennials, you guys aren't shopping like your parents. There needs to be more fun things. I'd like to take a chance. What do you say? Shell shocked. I was like, am I dreaming? What the hell is going on? There's no way. So this was during the pandemic. He sends his the private jet to San Francisco where I'm living at the time. I'd never even been on anything like this. I grew up very middle class in Virginia. Um, fly out there, meet with him and Matt Maddox at the time, his boss uh, one on the board of directors for Win, and just going over Blue Wire, pitching them almost like a Shark Tank atmosphere. Like they were asking hard ass questions, but we kind of had shook hands before I flew up and it absolutely changed the game for us. We went from being digital pirates to, you know, I've been working out of mom's basement forever. Now there's bulldozers in, there's blue wire construction hats. Like they're leaning into the whole thing. We signed Chris Long, we signed Chris Carter. It's like, I'm playing a Madden video game here. Like what the hell is going on? Um, I owe the win, the management there, Craig Billings, Bobby Ameren, Seth Nedvin, they're fantastic partners. They put Blue Wire in a whole different category. And yes, the partnership's been challenging. Yes, there's been hundreds of meetings and a lot of them not productive when you work with a corporate partner, but they're willing to try new things. They're willing to invest money, revenue, time, energy, it's everything you could dream for in a partner. And you know what I'm looking for now, why I'm out looking for investment. You, you can't just grow a business by yourself. These days you need partners. So they're an example of what we can do. Um, I can keep going on real quick. Uh, visitors in the studio, Mark Cuban, Matthew Stafford, Gary V. It, I, you know, those types of people we're getting access to, Michael Phelps, Coach K. It's crazy. So just thankful for it. I want to continue. How, it's a three-year-long partnership. How can it become a 10-year-long partnership? How can we really ingrain ourselves there? You're missing two people on that list. <laughs> Nick and Joe, this podcast, right? We've been That's in the right. studio, Kevin. We've been in the studio. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. You know, we, we do have to talk about your podcast on the network and I want to do more cool things. We've had a Premier League team reach out about a studio. We've had a sports agency reach out. Those those deals take a while to materialize. Not not everyone's like the win. We had the deal done in two months, less than that. Some corporates take two years to deal with. So um, there's some drawbacks to both of those, but I prefer to move faster. I'm not in the business of negotiating for two years. So Nick and I, uh, this was my first time in Vegas before Nick has been there before. Uh, we went back in October and we were in the studios and we loved it. Right. And this is going to bridge into my next question to you. But uh, one of the primary reasons that Nick and I were in Vegas uh, were to see a dear friend of ours, David Meltzer. Now, David has been a very important part of our lives now here for the last I would say four to five months. Uh, Don't be modest. Definitely a friend. He treats you like he treats you like his son. Well, I call him I call him Uncle Dave, right? Call him Uncle Dave. Uh, been to multiple events here in the New York area. 
I remember we went to the UFC event 281 in Madison Square Garden back in November. So that's my uncle Dave. Uh, he can vouch. He was the one uh, who kind of let us in the studio. So I know maybe a little private there, but I hope you don't mind, KJ. But to the question that I was going to ask, uh, Dave has been a very big part of my life recently, a mentor figure. And there's somebody who's also a very big, very close friend of Nick and, uh, and I. His name is Adnan Virk. He's on MLB Network. Uh, we call him the Virk Horse. Leads the coverage on MLB Network, right? Had time spent with him recently. We went to Dan Lebitard's event in Miami. We had a really, really great time. Nick is the one who really knew him first, but our relationship with Adnan has spent a, a couple of years, and he's become a dear friend of ours, somebody who's been on the podcast multiple times, definitely a mentor figure, right? So Nick and I have been very, very fortunate here the last couple of years that we've met some great people along the way uh, who are already there. We're looking to get there. KJ, who would you consider to be people in your life right now who are your closest mentors? They could be people who you worked with previously and then you kept in touch with, with relationships with. Uh, it could be people who helped you uh, with Blue Wire getting it off the ground. It could be people who helped you with all the, the corporate sponsorships that you have, the win deal, right? Whatever the case may be, who are those mentors for you right now in your life? Yeah, it's really our team at Blue Wire. Some of my colleagues who even work underneath me and um, some people, Armani Kadami helped me found the business. Um, went to high school with him and he has helped us get here from the early days. He took a small percentage of the company has never asked for a dime and has really been there for anything we've needed. Those people are so valuable and important on a, a journey like this to achieve success. You you got to have multiple people all in it, no matter what. And he, Armani is that guy at Blue Wire, you know, right next to him is Maggie or SVP of biz dev. She's four years younger than me and is taught me so much about deal-making, about managing clients, about just how to interact with folks. I'm so happy to give credit to people. Not every mentor has to be so wise. You can really learn a lot from just watching folks, how they interact with people. Always keeps her cool. Um, I've learned so much from her. Um, you know, I want to say previous jobs, I didn't do a good job keeping in touch with folks, actually burn bridges. I think people should learn from me to really stay in touch better, even if things don't end great. Um, I read a lot of books. Um, some founders in the space, Kenny Hansen founded Mentor Pass. I definitely look at that. 500 startups who initially invested in Blue Wire. There's a huge founder network there. I met Taz Patel. He's founded a big ads business called Captivate. Brian Vern from Wave. I can keep going on and on. I probably don't have one or two that is my go-to. I probably have 10, 15 founders, employees who... I tell close things about Blue Wire, my personal life too, and seek guidance from. It's been cool to build that slowly. You know, you got to trust folks, of course. I Luckily, not a lot of people have burned me. A couple people have tried to burn me. 
one of my landlords one time never gave me the security deposit back. He thought Blue Wire was so successful he could fuck me over. We've never really had anyone attack us. We had one podcaster say a homophobic slur that I got rid of immediately when he refused to apologize. But knock on wood, I try and not burn bridges. That's a huge thing I've learned. And shout out to my mentors there. There's people who listen to this. I could have kept name dropping there, but I want the pod to move forward. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to burn bridges. That's for sure. Definitely don't want to end up on somebody's uh shit list because no emotions can rise in your head you got to realize it's like an ocean things can boil over so it takes a couple of ruined relationships to realize that and as a founder i have that kind of energy and i it can be good right it can be bad too you got to tame that for sure so last point here on the studio in the win number one i want to know do you get a free stay at the win whenever you want number two how much are you guys benefiting from doing outside rentals at that studio? Because we know it happens quite a bit. And number three, the studio is just feet away from one of the best buffets in the world, the Wynn Buffet. Have you eaten there? And what are your thoughts? Start with the Wynn Buffet. Yes, the Shumai dumplings are... I think I put on five to 10 pounds, unfortunately. I've only been twice in a two year long partnership. It's almost like a once a year treat, even though we're right next to the buffet. I can't trying to be trying to live on this earth a while. I'm trying, I know that I'm damaging my organs when I eat 8,000 calories at once or whatever I would do there. I don't have self-control with food. So that's too hard for me. Studio rentals, yes. We've done some really cool ones. One with Paramount and their production team with Yellowstone the cast of the hit TV show. We had Beth and Casey, that crew in the studio. But like when someone approaches for a bachelor party, it's kind of a no. My dog's barking in the background. So this typical episode, Ollie, hey. Um, <laughs> who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? That should be, <laughs> yeah, copyright. But, uh, you know, I've learned a lot in the studio. What was your first question there? The win. When you go out there to do to do business, oh, oh what, what do I do? What's win? my game plan? Yeah, when I'm in Vegas, my game plan typically Terrace Point Cafe for breakfast. Um, if I'm bopping around to other hotels, it would be Aria or Cosmo only. Joe's Stay a big Cosmo fan. Yeah. Love the Cosmo. Love that place. Nick is a huge buffets guy. He's, we recommend uh, Venetian. Win rates are crazy. It is an elite hotel. It's it's a top ten hotel size wise in the world, so it attracts the the ballers, if you will. Right. Um, so Venetian, we recommend for big groups coming in. We've stayed there too. We've also gotten Airbnbs. Um, nightlife, we do have the hookup at Excess. Shout out to our boy Jack Womack. I can't really get discounts for people, but if they're sold out or I can try and help expedite things. If anyone's trying to get bottle service, um, the, the pool is insane. Encore beach club. It, it is such a treat restaurant wise. I love, um, is it Wazumi? Yeah, I think it's called Wazumi. It's the sushi place on in Encore next to the pool, but they also have Chinese food. They also have a little bit of everything. They're, they're really, really good. Um, and then 
they have the cafe that has sandwiches open 24 seven. People are like, well, there's no food 24 seven room service can be bad and late. Cause a lot of people go there for the clubs. So I think it's called uh, cafe Teatro. They just named it, renamed it. They're always adding new things. I'm pumped. They put us on the same light as Delilah. We came in the same year as a famous restaurant in LA. Blue Wire and Delilah were part of a, hey, how do how does Wynn not develop something originally from scratch, a Wynn concept, or it's not Gucci or Prada, but it's something cool out in the world. How do we bring it here? So it was so cool to be a part of that 2021 effort. Delilah is an amazing restaurant with live entertainment, 50 cents performed there. Um, Kevin Hart, they've, they have comedians there sometimes telling jokes. They have rappers there. They have all types of live entertainment and meals. It's also a big restaurant in LA. They redid the concept. So, man, I can go on and on. I don't have my win hat on right now, but I'm typically like a win influencer with how much they've given to Blue Wire. Um, and yet, anytime your listeners are there, they can shoot me a LinkedIn DM. If they're a listener of your show, we, we can give them a tour of our studio. There you go. Take advantage of that, folks. So I'm sure the wind's happy having the studio there because, quite frankly, those high-end shops that you see when you walk into hotels and casinos, maybe they're selling one piece of, of thing per month. So it's really just advertising for those companies. So I'm sure they're happy with you. Now It's amazing, actually. We learned that they have like a couple big gamblers that swing how much money they make. There's, there's some people in there who are betting... Uh, more than you could ever believe millions and millions of dollars per night so it's it's interesting learning that side of the world not just from win but all those casinos how they operate and the high rollers and the private jets are actually for those guys it's not for the dinky startup uh, guy it's actually hey how do we get these high rollers in in here more often those are the big business for the casinos well joe's not a big roller but he'll be in las vegas a few more times this year <laughs> He'll be yeah. out in Los Angeles. So maybe I you do my part. I lose 200 on the roulette table, $200 uh, every time I'm there. So I, I pay it's my way. You just uh, you go in there and get, you give your, uh, you're paying the rent. My uncle won 44,000 playing three card poker, not at oh. win, but a neighboring casino. Jeez. So once in a while, someone will strike gold there. There you go. What would you say in your life or your career is your, you know, right moment? So mean by that is a time or place where, you wanted to do something or pursue something, you ask somebody for advice, whether it's a friend, a teacher, a family member, they're like, Kevin, what the heck are you doing? That's not going to work. Don't even attempt that. And you were like, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. And ultimately you will see why it is that I'm right. My sister and my mom, I was kind of in a rut a little bit before I found in Blue Wire, even though I was working at Facebook, Salesforce, each of those were six month contracts. I replaced women on maternity leave. It's interesting how those roles are very frequent in Silicon Valley. I was getting paid really well from journalism, but I was struggling like, what is next? What is Blue Wire? And I wanted it to be a book or I wanted it to be that. I was podcasting. I was like, how could I ever make money doing this? My sister was like, you need to stop saying what if you need to pick something. Like, I'm not going to let you continue to wallow feel sorry for yourself. So that was a big moment for me. My mom has been a constant person there, believing in me, supporting me through hard times. You know, I, I never went to Europe in my twenties. I never, I was hard on myself. My mom 
she is a successful entrepreneur. She has a recruiting business that she's done well. So she's understands what I'm going through, figuring it out. And those two, my mom, my sister, man. And that moment with my sister was probably the pivotal moment of stop feeling sorry for yourself. You gotta, you gotta pick yourself up and fail again. Even if you failed a lot already, like it doesn't matter. Keep failing. That's great. Great advice. Work for you. Persevere through everything. Can relate. I haven't been to Europe either, and I'm 30 years old, so we have that in common. But hopefully, in the next 10 years, I'll be able to travel to Europe. That'd be nice. Um, do that, man. Question. Budget it. It's worth it. I'm I'm happy I waited this long to do it correctly uh, with my fiance. But yes, yeah, you got to do it with people who are close to you that you care about. I mean, I've thought about going by myself here and there, but you know. I think the more the merrier. So hopefully that materializes sometime down the line. Uh, but KJ, thank you for your time so far. This is last question from me. Nick always puts this question on the rundown because I am the spiritual guy of the two. I'm very into like astrology craft. I know not really a guy thing, but it's the truth. Uh, so I have to ask, you don't necessarily have to give your birthday, uh, but what is your zodiac sign? Aquarius, January 28th. Uh, oh, your birthday's coming up. Birthday's coming up. I look at my horoscope maybe once a quarter. I actually got really into it in Cleveland a little bit. I've used it for inspiration in the past. I think it's really cool how people work with it. And I'm not a not believer of it. I'm not a skeptic of it. I don't really participate. But I do love that Aquariuses are more rebels or independent thinkers. When I see some Aquarius stuff, I definitely relate sure. to it. So I think I've been told it's a water sign or something. But Well, it's the water bearer, but it's an air sign. And air signs are more of the gifted communicators. Uh, but in numerology, you're born on the 28th. And the 28th number in numerology means wealth. So well, good, wealth man. for I, you going I play into that the number roulette. I often lose on that number, but it's been a good number to me. Kevin, thank you for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, hope to have you on again in the future. Hope to maybe someday work and collaborate a little bit more. Nick and I are looking forward to it. And as Nick alluded to earlier, there's a chance that I'm going to be in Vegas at least two to three times before the end of the year. So uh, I don't know if Nick's going to be with me at all. Maybe he'll come back once, but uh, come back out there. would love to see Uncle Dave. Love to hang out with you, get to talk to you, get to know you a little bit more in person. Um, but what we do here is we always give our guests the last words. So if there's anything else you would like to share or anything else you would like to promote on your behalf, by all means, please do. Thank you for your time. Uh, you're on the West Coast. We're on the East Coast. So still got a little more of your day to go. So go enjoy that. Uh, but thanks. Thanks again for your time. Yeah, no, final word. If you guys are there and want to record an episode, let me know. Even if it's just you two and you don't have a guest and want to do something, we can make it happen. Just need a couple of weeks in advance on that. And yeah, anyone listening, bluewirepods.com for our website, but search Blue Wire in Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your pods, most of our content will show up and appreciate it. Hopefully someone finds this inspiring. Um, and if not, hopefully too, too many people don't hate me for this, but <laughs> uh, just kidding, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks very much, Kevin. We appreciate it. Thank you for your time. So that's going to do it here for this episode of, you know, I'm right for our very special guest.
Kevin Jones, for my co-host Joe Calabrese. I'm Nick Durst, and this has been You Know Ah. All right.